guys. Thank you guys so much for coming and being here. I love doing these, and they're always on, like, kind of a different topic, and we like to have different guests, but it's really super casual. Like, if you guys have questions, you know, I just want it to be more of a conversation. We will be recording audio just for our podcast, so if anybody's not comfortable, the camera's just up here, so don't worry about it. But um, if I kind of talk fast sometimes that's why I just want to kind of get some content on there but don't feel um, shy interrupting and becoming part of the conversation either because that's what today is for so we're talking all about hormones today and a huge part of my practice has been shifted to filling this massive void in female health care which is hormone support natural hormone balancing <laughs> in really all stages of life I work with little girls who are premenopausal, or it's not premenopausal, like premenstrual, um, girls who are dealing with that tough conversation with mom about do I get on the birth control pill, do I not, how do I prevent pregnancy, you know, sexual education, which is just so far lacking in, you know, really any outlet for them. There's nowhere that they receive it. Um, you know, natural cycle tracking. They don't even know what their cycles are, why they're getting their period, and how they can understand their fertile windows, even at a young age, um, all the way up to, you know, women trying to get pregnant and struggling with getting pregnant or postpartum, breastfeeding, weaning, um, you know, rebalancing ourselves, doing IVF treatments um, to the next stage, which is, you know, perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal. How do we navigate that huge shift? We go through three major hormonal shifts in our lives as women, and that doesn't include having children. So we are hormonal creatures, and that is a beautiful thing. That is a gift. That's what makes us human. That's what makes us female. And unfortunately, traditional medicine and the media has kind of attached a lot of shame and negative talk around being hormonal, having hormonal experiences, having hormonal changes. And because of that, a lot of the traditional medical services are kind of focused around minimizing and stopping symptoms, right? Kind of putting things into remission. There's a lot of talk about things, you know, that's not normal or that is normal. You feel that way. You're PMS. You can't lose weight. It's just you. You're crazy. You're just emotional. You're a female. You just had a baby. You're 50 years old. Of course that's happening. Here's a birth control pill. Let's get a hysterectomy. Let's take your ovaries out. And that's the answer. And you're done. And if you don't want to do that, well, sorry, there's nothing else we can do for you. And that is the um, the gap that I have kind of fallen into trying to fill. And what I specialize in is natural hormone balancing through diet, lifestyle, nutraceuticals, essentially non-HRT, non-hormone replacement therapy for women um, in all of those stages. And education is a huge, huge, huge component of that. So... A lot of you have heard me talk an awful lot in your time around me, so I'm going to kind of let my guests be the majority of the information that you get tonight because part of my mission is creating events like this where we can bring other professionals in who work in a similar fashion and similar spaces and share essentially resources that are not generally known that exist. So a lot of people don't even know that I exist, that you can have natural hormone balancing. And a lot of people don't know about a lot of the other wonderful professionals that we're going to hear from tonight and their services. So that's very important to me. Hi, come on in. Welcome, welcome. Get comfy, grab a seat. Hi, Betty. Hi. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so we'll we'll kind of start with a little bit of information from me, and then I'll bring up my first guest. But does anybody have any kind of initial questions, I guess, about anything that I've said so far? Any questions about what I mean when I say natural hormone balancing, or what are your thoughts on that? She's so cute. That's Ask my question again. But yeah, I was just saying, so like, does anybody have any initial questions or thoughts on what I said? Like, what is natural, do you know what natural hormone balancing means when I say that? How do you feel about kind of, do you feel that there is a gap in women's health care in this, in this area? And like, what has your personal experiences been? Kind of similar to what I'm saying or, yeah. I would say like, especially when it comes to like infertility, yeah. that was something that like I had two kids on. It took us almost two years, and I was so frustrated, but I went to a gynecologist, I went to my doctor, and they were all basically like, I mean, they did an ultrasound, and they basically ruled it out like, oh, you're just, you're probably just not ovulating, we don't know why, and I was trying to pull more answers out of them because it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, there's a reason why I'm not ovulating, but going to the professionals, I was hoping for some direction, and they were just like... You know, okay, just maybe you should just go to and you know, um, and get IVF. Yeah. And I was like, but I would like to know why I'm not ovulating. Like, you can't tell me anything. I'm just going to jump to something that's first of all super expensive. Yeah. And then not get to the root cause of what's going on. But I find that a lot in traditional medicine, even in other fields, like they tend to almost jump the gun on referring people out all the time. And it's almost like a liability thing or insurance game. Honestly, is what it's become. Is like. I don't know the answer. I don't feel comfortable helping you find it. So I'm just going to write you a referral and pretty much pass you as a problem on to somebody else. And that's so frustrating because as a mom, as anybody, but especially as a mom, wanting to have a baby or at any stage dealing with something where we're trying to focus on our own health and then being shuffled between appointments and referrals and getting on every, that's so hard. And that's why a lot of women just give up because you just, you don't have the time or the patience. But it's difficult, and you've learned in your own study that there's so much other answers out there. It's just, but that took you how long, you know, to, to gain that knowledge. Not everybody's going to be able to do that either. It's it's really frustrating, but, yeah, that's, thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. Yeah. A few years back, I went to see a functional medicine doctor, and yeah. she tried to refer me to my PCP to get some blood work taken. Yeah. So I have autoimmune disease to get to school I have. Yeah. She told me she made a long list of things that she wanted me to have tested. Yeah. He said he crossed like half the list out oh and was just like, You don't need any of that. I'm just going to do a basic panel. And she told me to get this stuff tested for a reason. Yeah. And it's like he didn't want to test the things that were needed because there's, it, it's like an onion. There's a lot of things underlying, mm-hmm. and he was just putting a band aid on it. And I had this like pain, and he wanted to prescribe me Tums, and he used it in like the bigger term. Yeah. He said it could just be an antacid. You just need an antacid. That's what yeah. he told me. That was the pain you were feeling, and it was more like pelvic pain. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we'll just give you some tums and call it a day. And again, like, <laughs> if he, well, it's frustrating because if he orders those labs, mm-hmm. he's responsible for the results. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to order the labs because one, he knows the insurance is not going to cover them. Mm-hmm. You're going to get a bill. You're going to get pissed at him. Mm-hmm. Two, he doesn't know how to interpret or what to do with them. I even asked my daughter's pediatrician, who I love and adore, to order just an ANA. She wouldn't do it because she said, I don't, she was honest. She said, I don't know what to tell you if that comes back positive. 
And I said, well, I do, so I'm going to order it myself. <laughs> and I did. But, you know, that is where that thought process spurs from. And unfortunately, because that trust has been removed from the medical community, they're in self-protection mode all the time. And, you know, a lot of people ask me why I charge cash for my blood work. And I tell them every time so I can pull what I need to. Simplest answer out there. Because no one else is going to tell me what I need to pull on my patients or why. And, you know, but that's hard because they are in a different position where they're regulated by other means. But that doesn't help you as the patient. It doesn't serve you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's a powerful story. I'm going to help you <laughs> figure out what's going on. <laughs> like, right away, I'm like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> but, yeah, so I kind of handed you guys these manila-colored papers in your little packet. And these are some symptom-based kind of lists on various hormone imbalances that I see commonly. These are not exclusive or um, encompassing by any means, but it's kind of sad because the majority of people that I see exist in a very similar hormonal state, and that is because of a couple of factors that I'm going to discuss with you tonight. So depending on the age that I see women, everybody kind of has a similar story. Of course, there's outliers, but because of our lifestyle, because of our toxic exposures through our food, our water, our environment, through medications, through the extensive use and because of the extensive use of the birth control pill at different stages in our lives, um, and the over-recommendation of ablations, hysterectomies, ovary removal, um, etc., we tend to be progressing to a state of estrogen dominance as a gender across the board in this country. There is a lot of pseudoestrogens and exposures to endocrine disrupting chemicals in a majority of our products, in a majority of our foods, and in our water. There's birth control in our water. There is just so much exposures to these things that we're not even really aware of. And yes, we can go down the rabbit hole all day and be terrified of the world, but that's not the answer or the solution either. What we can control is trying to alter our lifestyle to be more conducive of healthy hormones. And the major word that we like to obsess over, right, is stress. So how many of us think that we're stressed? I'm stressed <laughs> all the time. When I say the word stress, what does that mean to you? What comes to your head right away? Like what's the first word you think of when I say the word stress? Cortisol. Oh, good answer. <laughs> Anybody else? What's a word that comes to your, like, what do you think of when I say stress? It can be even, like, what stresses you? Anxiety. Anxiety. Okay. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. So a lot of kind of emotional words. Our body, our adrenal glands, produce cortisol in response to stress, but not just the emotional anxiety definition of stress. Our body responds biochemically in a very similar fashion to my new definition of stress, which is what I want you to take away from tonight that I'm going to share with you. Toxic burden, physical injury, chronic infection, processed foods, the emotional taxing component of stress. Sure, work-life balance, 
excess exercising and proper dieting or fasting. There was one more that it was really good and it just went because I'm stressed. <laughs> so all of these things add up and our body reacts to, oh, lack of sleep, improper sleep habits. There you go. That's the one. We can't control every single thing on that list, right? So a lot of women, when I start working with them and they're in adrenal burnout, adrenal fatigue, which is really messing with their testosterone, it's messing with their DHEA, they're in estrogen excess, they have no progesterone, they're not ovulating well, they're trying to come off of the birth control pill, they're trying to conceive a baby, they say, well, I can't get rid of my husband or my children who stress me out, I can't quit my job. No, you can't. You can't control that component of stress. Sure, that's a lot of work. There's past trauma that also adds to stress. There's things that we can try to bring to the surface and process, but that can take very a lot of work and a lot of years and a lot of de dedication to let go of some of those things. What we can control is some of the other parts of that definition. We can work on our sleep habits. We can work on our diet. We can work on our blood sugar and insulin response, which we're going to learn a lot about tonight by somebody who's speaking with us. We can work on limiting our toxic exposure. We can work on trying to understand and control the pseudoendocrine disruptor chemicals that we are exposed to and limit those to the best of our ability. So that kind of takes away a lot of that sense of overwhelmed, out of control, no, no fix, no solution, fear response that we get when we hear that we have to, quote, reduce our stress. Because if we understand that that biochemical response is not picky, it's not selective, we realize that there's a lot more in our power that we can do to keep our hormones balanced and make them resilient to increased periods of stress or toxic exposures that we're no doubt going to go through and these major shifts in hormone changes that we will face in our life. And that's what I like to kind of refocus for the women that I work with because we are in control, maybe not of everything, but of things that are very powerful to our health. And that can make a huge difference. So the major things listed on these little sheets you'll see is dominance of estrogen, PCOS, which is far too common in little asterisk here, misdiagnosed to the 10th degree very often, hypothyroidism, immune or not, autoimmune or not, so we work with both, we see it often, hyperthyroid, low testosterone, diabetes, adrenal fatigue in all of its wonderful stages. There's so many things, low progesterone. These, this is the picture that I see very often in the women that I work with. Now, the last thing that I kind of want to show you guys is I put a little grading scale on here that you guys can kind of tick yourself on low progesterone, estrogen dominance, and excess cortisol. That's the general picture that I see are those three things. Every single symptom that you have is one point and then you add them up on the bottom. Um, the other kind of big component of this is how do you get diagnosed with these things? So if you're going to an OBGYN, or you're, I saw a post on Facebook today, that's a sidetrack, I'll come back to that and share it because it's pretty interesting. What, if you went to a doctor and you said, I think that there's something wrong with my hormones, what, what are they going to say to you? What are they going to do for you? There you go. How are they going to test it? What are they going to say? Are they even going to draw the right labs? Yep. Even an OBGYN. I read packets. Packets. Binders. 
I've gone to Mayo, I've gone to OBGYNs, I've gone to fertility specialists, I've gone to my PCP, I've gone to three other functional medicine doctors. This is what they drew. And there's basic things missing, and I'm just like, I don't understand. I saw one woman post on Facebook today. She goes, I went to my PCP because I think I have a hormone imbalance, and they told me they were checking my hormones. And she took a picture of the lab order. There was not a single serum hormone level listed on that blood draw. They tested TSH, a complete blood count, her cholesterol, and that's it. She did not know because she doesn't even know what hormones are to ask for what to be drawn. So she's going to get those pulled, and he's going to look at her and say, there's nothing wrong with you. It's in your head. Goodbye. And that's it. That's the end of her story. Now, we're not all, we all have some different level of understanding on what to anticipate as far as, you know, what we need done. But the point is, I don't even believe that a blood panel is enough or accurate enough to diagnose a hormone imbalance. You have to look at a complete thyroid panel, really accurate blood drawings of the serum hormone levels, and I love Dutch test. We'll talk about that. That's my friend. But also saliva and urine to understand actually what's going on hormonally with women. And you have to look at how their cycle is functioning and collect all those specimens at the proper time in that unique woman's cycle to even understand what's going on with her. And that's why we get misdiagnosed or inaccurately diagnosed with different hormone imbalances all the time. It's a testing issue. It's a physician error. So when you have complaints that you believe are hormone-related, be a self-advocate, fight for the right information, because that's the first step in getting the help that you need. Any questions for me before I have my first guest come up? No? You ready? Come on. All right. So this is Miss Annie. She is a nutritional therapy practitioner, and she has an awesome, awesome Instagram page. If you guys want to follow her with amazing information, it's Hashi Mama, right? Or yeah, Hashi Mommy. Yeah. Hashi Mommy. <laughs> I absolutely love it. So she has donated her time to us tonight, and I'm so thankful for you to be here. And we are going to kind of learn a little bit about how nutrition plays into hormone health among other things. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into the health world? You kind of shared with us a little already, but tell me yeah. more. <laughs> um, so back in 2011, when I had my first child, um, um, but when I had my first child postpartum, I had everything go wrong you can imagine. And um, I was really young, so I was not expecting all of the things to go wrong. I had extreme depression, um, debilitating anxiety. Um, I, I started having tremors in my body, and like I couldn't, like I couldn't control it. And I went specialist after specialist, and nobody could tell me. I even had a doctor tell me I should drink more beer because I'm a, a new mom. Yeah, oh, not even kidding. <laughs> Glad he got a degree. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in shock because you know it's like when you get to that point and you're desperate. So I thought something was wrong with me, you know, and I started thinking it was in my head and I was a crazy person. So, you know, took the medications, everything, and just this happened for several years until I had my, um, my second in 2014. And um, I was struggling with weight loss at that time, you know, postpartum, the natural stuff. And so then I had a friend tell me about the 21-day sugar detox. And I was like, I've never heard of that, but I'll try anything at this point um, to lose weight. And so that book was incredible to me because it taught me so much about just like food in general and then just 
how sugar plays a role in so much um, imbalances in our body. And um, my husband and I did it together. And um, we took pictures like before and after. And we were amazed just how we felt, how we looked. And then after that point is when um, my eyes were opened. And I was like, I have to look into this world more. Um, So then... um, then after that point, you know, that was something I incorporated more into my life. Um, but I still struggled with health yeah. issues and, um, I knew that there was something still off. So, you know, I was, I did more research. I read more books. I was, I was just really, I was really obsessed yeah. of just finding answers and just really figuring things out on my own. Um, so then I, um, in 2018, I finally found a doctor that listened to me because I did so much um, researching and finally realized, wow, I've never had a doctor give me a full thyroid panel Mm -hmm. because I didn't know what that was. Just like you said, I didn't know to ask for that. So um, I found this doctor that was willing to listen to me and I was so grateful and they were like, yeah, you have Hashimoto's and you probably had this for a while. Um, And it it just explained so much of the issues that I was having. Um, so after that point, I just continued to educate myself and, um, you know, not even for myself only, it was just for my family. I wanted to like learn so much to know how, what to ask and what to do for my kids and my husband. Um, and then that's how I just, you know, I educated myself with, um, or I got a certification as a nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, and then now I work one-on-one with clients, um, with women that are struggling with hormone and thyroid issues and just provide them with customized holistic plans to really like look at their life as a whole and figure out and get to the root cause of like what is going on and um, just starting with food. I, I just like to start with food. <laughs> well, not so, you know, food is so powerful and I feel like, again, that's something that as women, we've almost been made to like fear food and like, you know, diet culture has created such a, you know, well, I can't be on a diet or I'm always on a diet. Mm -hmm. And there's a way to, and I try to preach this all the time, especially working with like younger girls or women who've recovered from binge eating disorder or Mm -hmm. different types of, you know, disordered eating patterns that you can eat healthy and love food without Mm -hmm. being on a quote diet. It's a lifestyle change and learning to that food can serve you and food is medicine Mm -hmm. that doesn't have to be associated with the word diet or restriction. That's Mm -hmm. all marketing. That's all propaganda that has made us feel like healthy choices are quote restrictive or limiting. And you know, it's so empowering to have people like you reversing that story. Mm -hmm. And it's so important because just because in America we like to talk about the cheeseburger doesn't mean that, you know, every cheeseburger is going to kill you for one, Mm -hmm. but that we can't be, you know, okay with just having veggies. And if you do eat veggies or vegan or paleo or vegetarian, that you're crazy and you're on a strict diet and, you know, we feel bad for you. Mm -hmm. Like there is a line, there is a balance. And, you know, food is medicine. I live by that. So Mm -hmm. that's awesome. Tell me a little bit about some of your major tips on what can impact hormone resilience and hormone balance like that you share with your clients. Yeah. So, um, the first one is, and I think it's just like a huge one is, um, blood sugar regulation. Most people don't understand what blood sugar regulation is and how it affects just your overall health. Um, and this is a huge one that 
all my clients, I, I love to just start with this one because just like you were talking about, when it doesn't, it, it's not necessarily food, like it can be the stressors in your life. It can be, um, you know, the toxic exposure, like your blood sugar can rise and drop because of those type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not eating for a certain amount of time, but there's different things that um, that impact that. And, um, even with my own husband, I will tell him cause we will check our blood sugar at times. Awesome. Um, but when he's in a stressful meeting at home mm-hmm. and I can see like his ears get really red and I'll yeah. be like, check your blood sugar. And it's through the roof and it, he yeah. didn't eat anything. It was just because he was so stressed out, um, in that moment. So I always like to educate my clients on that, that just, you know, between your stress and when you're, you know, going too long between meals, when you're eating a meal that spikes your blood sugar too, sometimes we don't even realize like, oh, this meal that, you know, quote is healthy is spiking your blood sugar and you don't realize it. So, you know, and everyone's different. I, I don't, I don't promote like one specific diet for one person and this specific food for this person. Yeah. Everyone's different and it depends on your lifestyle, if you're breastfeeding, if you're a very active person. There's so many different factors that play into that yeah. that are really, really important to consider. Uh, and, and this, just that alone has made a difference for um, a lot of my clients, oh, just when they track that um, and start taking their, you know, checking their blood sugar and just even balanced meals, which um, is in the um, the packet that I gave you guys, just some ideas of just incorporating a protein, a carb, um, and a fat, your body yeah. absorbs all those nutrients so much better, um, when they're together, um, instead of just one at a time. And so that is the number one thing I like to start. I mean, it's hard to say number one, but that is a huge one, um, that I like to start with. Um, the other thing is opening your detox pathways and, what I mean by that is it's so important to – we have so many toxins in our body that can recirculate if we're not releasing them somehow, whether that's through sweating, whether that's through having a bowel movement. I have clients that will go three, four days with no bowel movement, and that's an issue because if you think about it, if you're eating certain things and your body's trying to get rid of it, and that's the way – and that's one of the ways our body gets rid, rid of it, and it just sits inside of you, like, for example, estrogen. Like, if it's not – you know, if, if it's not excreted, then it just gets – you know, goes, recirculates back into your body. And then we start having issues with estrogen. Um, so it's really important to make sure that those pathways are open by, um, you know, exercising or sweating really like infrared saunas and just simple things like that. And then even with the diet approach or the balanced diet, my clients are able to have bowel movements and they're amazed. Like, wow, this has been for years that, that's how they just think that they are, but it doesn't have to be normal. I had, I had one woman come in, and it was once a week for her. Wow. And she had been on the birth control pill forever, mm-hmm. and she just was like, I've gone to gastroenterologists. I've done all the scopes. You know, there's nothing wrong with me, but I just can't use the restroom. And, you know, we, you know, do pre-tox, detox, drainage pathways, all that kind of work with her. We did food sensitivity work with her. We did the Dutch test. We checked her genetics because part mm-hmm. of that is like the enzymatic activity with methylation and sulfation yeah. for your hormones to work the right way. And um, now she's going every day mm-hmm. and she's losing weight. 
and she hasn't really restricted herself in the ways that she had in the past and she had developed actually binge eating issues because of Mm. trying to lose weight and you know thinking it was her Mm -hmm. it was her inability to control herself around food Mm -hmm. when really it was hormonal and gut you know and that's just refocusing again like we tend to blame ourselves and carry the burden of our own health as well Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's things that we can't control and it's not as simple as willpower or restriction or being strong enough or being on that diet longer or going to the gym more often. Mm-hmm. It's a missing piece. Yeah. The root cause, right? That's yeah. the buzzword. Tell yeah. me a little bit about, you mentioned my favorite word here, Dutch testing and full thyroid panel. <laughs> yeah. So that's another huge thing I always recommend to all my clients because it just gives you that, you know, that big picture of what is going on? And especially with like your thyroid and just all your major hormones, when it always makes me so sad because a lot of women will go through all of the, this pain and agony. And, you know, ex- I was just talking to a lady today that she's like, I have debilitating fatigue. Like I can't even like, like my brain doesn't even function. I, I can't even like think about what I'm going to do. And when you have that big picture of, okay, this is how all my hormones are working like with a Dutch test and, and how you're, if you're even, you know, how your methylation is with that. And, um, and then with your thyroid, if you're having a sluggish thyroid and then you don't know that, then that also plays a huge role with like your metabolism, with, you know, brain fog, with basically everything. I think with like your thyroid, it affects everything. It, It well, it does. And like you were, you started with, so cortisol and insulin hold hands. So if you have in thyroid and adrenal gland whole hands, mm-hmm. and that's why I like to say, like, I'm a hyper generalist. I'm not a hyper specialist because the metabolism, our ability to lose weight, ability for us to produce neurotransmitters, regulate depression, regulate anxiety, digest the vitamins and minerals and nutrients out of the foods and or the supplements and mm-hmm. medications that we're even taking. Mm-hmm. It's all this really in- integrative process. And I actually have a sample Dutch report. Can you pass that around, Anna? sample Dutch report. You guys can see what we're talking about. It's like a 38-page report. It's pretty awesome. Um, But just to give an example, because it shows the full steroid pathway of hormone production, transformation, excretion. That's just one test. It's amazing. It's the gold standard as of right now. Testing's changing all the time. But if you compare that to what a traditional blood panel would be pulled, you can see the vast difference in the quantity of information and factors that are considered before treatment is rendered for a hormone imbalance. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Tell me a little bit about the importance of minerals and hydration. Yeah, so I mean hydration is something huge that I think a lot of people struggle with. Um, but um, what I always recommend is, of course, drinking at least eight glasses if you can, you know, filling up your water bottle. But a huge part of that hydration is adding minerals into your water Mm -hmm. and minerals work like spark plugs in your body. Mm-hmm. When there's something off with your minerals, then that can cause major issues with just the way your body functions. So I always recommend just adding some um, Celtic salt or like um, uh, my other favorite brand is um, Redmond salt. It's like real, real salt that has minerals in there and you can add it into your water um, or there's trace minerals that the drops that you can add into your water as well that helps you absorb it better. And then you also know that you're getting those minerals that you need, um, to help with those functions in your body. Um, so, I mean, very simple, but it's a, it's something that I, a lot of clients will struggle with just not drinking enough water. 
much, I have a Celtic um, salt at home, and I never know how much to actually add to a glass of water. How much do you add? Um, I usually recommend just, like, you can put a dash in there. It's, I, I can handle a lot because mm -hmm. I, I love it. And I, yeah. I there's also um, a thing called Element that mm -hmm. I love, too. I don't know if you've heard the, of that. It's the LMNT, right? Yeah, Amazon. the LMNT, yeah. yeah. They're good. But, um, but it's something, it's very salty. So depending on how much you, I mean, it's basically a dash of salt if you want. But if you can get a little bit more than that, then so you can taste a little bit of the salt. I syrup with it. It's bomb. It's like a spicy lemonade. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> so I get my daughter to do it, my three-year-old. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, with little ones especially. But yeah, and if you're in adrenal fatigue, you will deplete your own minerals naturally. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will be like, well, I, why is my blood work showing I'm dehydrated? I drink 100 ounces of water every single day. I'm like, well, you can be drinking water and still be dehydrated. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mineral absorption and all these different things. And again, gut health, which is your next ticket on here, 100%. Mm -hmm. If you don't have good gut health, if you don't have a good microbiome, it doesn't matter what you consume on a daily basis, you're not able to unlock its potential. Bioavailability is what that's called, and it's decreased. That goes for medication as well. A lot of people wonder why even thyroid medication, for example, why do I have to keep increasing my dose for this to be effective? Yes, that we can become tolerant to certain chemicals where our response doesn't become as effective, but another huge component of that is your microbiome and your gut is responsible for breaking down and utilizing that medication. And if that is defective or depleted, you won't be able to utilize anything that you're consuming as effectively as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge point to kind of look at too. The gut controls mm -hmm. everything. And talk to me a little bit about supplementation. What are some like supplementation recommendations and how do you utilize that in your practice? Um, well, to kind of go back real quick to the gut issues, yeah. I just want to mention some of the things that like are major um, with like the gut issues is something that's so helpful is like a stool test. Yeah. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. Absolutely. Like yeah, I love if it. they don't know if they have a gut infection or something like that, mm -hmm. then you're not absorbing those nutrients and Absolutely. that's huge. Um, but supplementation, that's something last resort type of thing for me. Um, because when you are lacking with a certain like vitamin or mineral or anything of that nature and especially when you're in this like really fragile state, sometimes that can be very helpful. But of course, it's something you want to address with your doctor. You need to, I mean, there can be major contraindications with medications that you're on, um, but it can be very helpful in certain situations where um, you're very depleted and you need that extra help to kind of get you over that hump to, um, you know, to start healing and feeling better. I completely agree, and it shouldn't ever be permanent. Mm -hmm. I don't agree with permanent supplementation. I don't even agree with a probiotic on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and a lot of people get that wrong, and they try to self-medicate, and they try to self-treat, and they read, well, this is good for this, so I'm going to take it. And, you know, there's so many issues with that. We could, I could get on that soapbox all day, but I will spare you all. Yes. So um, <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. That was awesome information. I absolutely love it. I'm so happy to have you in this field sharing this wonderful information and being a resource to this community. Does anybody have any questions for Miss Annie? No? Yeah. What about supplements for, like, gaining a libido? Like, do I recommend that? or? Yeah, like, I, I'm sure the answer is still the same of, using food as medicine, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, I mean, honestly... Like, where do you even start? 
start? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, you start with food, but of course, like with your doctor and stuff, like I always am like those type of things you want to make sure that you're addressing. And there are really good prenatal um, vitamins. Like you don't want to just get a random one because there's, if you look really closely, unfortunately, like there are some brands that do not have really good quality um, ingredients in those supplements that you're taking or, or like the prenatals. But I do think it's really important because you want to make sure that you're getting um, all those nutrients um, for yourself and for the baby. But of course, making sure your doctor that's loaded I do blood work on my pregnant moms um you know what you're deficient in the way your body uses vitamins I we do gut health with our pregnant moms that's the first step being on just a prenatal for the heck of being on a prenatal generally does nothing for you and 90% of the prenatals that people purchase that are they're not therapeutic dosages of much of anything a lot of women actually have methylation issues and get very sick because of the form of folic acid that's in most prenatals. So understanding how your body works and what your body needs will help you understand what your baby needs. Food is very beautiful if you're sourcing it well. Unfortunately, the majority of women, the food that we're consuming on a normal basis has become very depleted in a lot of nutrients and minerals that formerly, if we were back and, you know, growing it ourselves with really dense soil that hasn't been just like bleached essentially over the years of mass agriculture and pesticides and, you know, beyond, we would be able to get everything that we needed from the food that we were eating. But nowadays that has changed. So we do need to supplement in different conditions, but the right form of professional grade supplements that is correct for your body in the bioavailable versions of themselves that are right for you, that's how you treat supplementation the same as you would treat pharmaceuticals and they're effective, they're powerful and they work. Just kind of, especially like, and this is kind of another tangent, but herbs and like herbalism and, you know, homeopathic treatments and kind of these, these different kind of trendy things that have come up and, you know, herbs in any form are taxing on the liver, just like taking medication. They're not recommended for long-term permanent use for that reason. And you need to understand where the supplement companies, just like pharmaceutical companies, are sourcing their ingredients, what's included in their packaging, what is the byproducts, like you're saying, in everything that you're consuming, especially if you're looking at herbs. Where, where are they grown? You know, what, what are you actually taking? Just because it says vitamin, just because it says supplement, does not mean it's good for you. Mm -hmm. And they are taxing on our liver in the same way that medications are if used in excess or incorrectly. And, you know, that is kind of pushed aside because the supplement industry has become a multi-billion dollar wellness industry. And there's become a lot of social media influencers that have developed spin-off brands, their own protocols, all these different products that because they are not regulated in the United States, they can pretty much say can contain and do whatever they feel like and no one is checking them. So working with companies and doctors who invest the time in looking into the third-party independent laboratory testing, understanding the process that these things, where are they actually manufactured, all these different questions is important because the government doesn't do that for us here. And, you know, if you're taking or ingesting anything, I believe that it's our job to know especially in the state of pregnancy, of course, mm -hmm. what we're consuming, what we're giving to our bodies and our babies. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Okay. 
Yes. Specific brands that you do recommend because I know people are like, don't buy from Amazon, don't buy from Whole Foods. <laughs> like, the same thing. It's like, do you have a specific brand that you use in case like? I'm not married to a brand at all. I research endlessly and constantly at nauseum. And depending on the company, the product, the time of year, where their ingredients are sourced, that's what I use. And I use different brands for different types of supplements. Um, and again, I'm constantly updating that. So for example, I used to really like Vital Proteins. Well, Nestle just bought them, so I threw mine in the garbage. So, you know, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's an ongoing battle because unfortunately as this wellness supplement industry gets a lot of attention, the big dogs are coming in and absorbing all these companies. So when they absorb the company, they change the ingredients, they change the manufacturing, they change the composition of the products. So it's an endless battle, to be frank. But it's something I, it's my job. You know, <laughs> so that's what I do. But that's why it's important to kind of, you know, ask those questions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Any other questions for that? No? Okay. So I went a little bit longer than I wanted to. I'm sorry, guys. You're probably here all night because I love talking about this. All right. Ashley, you're up next. Come on. Right. Thank you so much, Annie. <laughs> of course. So Ashley is an SLP, and she has... A lot of information I didn't even know. So I am so excited for you to be here and share your info with us tonight. And I'm just going to kind of give you the floor because this is kind of blew my mind and resonated with me being postpartum as well. So tell me what you do. I am a certified speech language pathologist. I've been doing that for over 10 years. My specialty areas in speech-language pathology are a little bit different. So when most people think of speech-language pathology, they think of um, teaching kids how to say their sounds or language. Um, but my specialty area is voice, swallowing, and upper airway, um, and particularly voice. I got into the field because I um, was a uh, voice performance major um, in undergrad and ended up having voice problems and found the field of speech language pathology and voice therapy as a result. Um, and then when I was postpartum with my first um, child, I started having more voice issues again and started to do a lot of research in the area of the connection between the voice and pelvic floor dysfunction and the voice and hormones. And there's a lot of information that is kind of out there, but, but not connected. Like there's a lot of information in the field of pelvic floor health and a lot of information in voice health that are similar, but the literature doesn't actually talk to one another or connect. And so um, there's a lot of missing information. And I was getting all of these women coming in who were either um, menopausal or um, postpartum and having voice issues. And I was like, there's definitely a connection here. <laughs> like, it has to be. Um, and so did a lot more research on that. And so I feel like to kind of understand why this is, it's kind of important to understand how the voice works. Yeah. And a lot of people don't really understand how the voice works. So I'm going to kind of just break it down for you guys a little bit. Um, so I have a handout that I gave you guys. There's a um, illustration that I did on the top that shows you 
kind of a top-down view of what the vocal folds would look like if they were stripped down to the musculature and the bones and tendons. Um, <laughs> what you'll notice is it looks very similar to the vagina. Um, it is also very similar structurally to the vagina. It's actually cellularly made up with the same tissue as the vagina. Um, if you look at the larynx, which is the house for the vocal folds, it looks identical to the uterus. Um, and so there's a lot of connections between the two, um, visually, but also functionally. Um, and the vocal folds typically sit kind of in this nice open V position so that when we breathe in and out, the air can move down into our lungs and back up without any obstruction. And then when we speak, create voice or sing or laugh, cough, anything like that, our vocal folds will actually move together so that they're close to one another. And then the air moves up from our lungs and it sets them into motion in this kind of wave-like motion against one another that creates the sound waves that you hear. Um, and that's what creates our voice. The vocal folds themselves are created with lots of different layers of tissue. So there's five different layers and all of the layers work to create that vibration that you hear in the sound waves. Um, and that tissue vibrates hundreds to thousands of times per second. So there's a lot of vibration going on, um, a lot of movement. Those tissues are very delicate. And they're also controlled by estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. And so when you have hormone imbalances or hormone fluctuations, whether they're natural hormone fluctuations or non-natural hormone fluctuations, then you can see changes in the voice. That's so cool. I love it. Sorry. <laughs> I did the visualization on the, the with the pelvic floor. I've never made that connection, and it's stunning. So that's a really cool point. Sorry, continue. <laughs> um, so, oftentimes, complaints that I will hear from individuals um, who are either postpartum or um, perimenopausal, menopausal, will be things like, "My voice just sounds lower," or "My voice is breathy. It's hoarse." It, I don't sound like myself. Um, I run out of air when I speak. Mm -hmm. um, I get I, I I talk for a while and then my voice just kind of fatigues. Um, and so those are common complaints that that you hear um, that are connected to kind of to those hormone imbalances um, that a lot of people just aren't aren't aware are connected. Yeah. No. I I know. Like right. I was telling my husband, and it's funny if you watch back the first podcast I did after I had Rainy. I literally said like five times, like, oh my gosh, I sound like an old man. I don't even sound like myself. My voice is so like horsey and, and I'm uncomfortable. I'm running out of mm -hmm. breath and, you know, I'm breastfeeding. So, of course, I'm in, you know, estrogen dominance right now. So, you right. know, that's crazy. That's awesome. Not only that, but especially postpartum, you, you have it compounded with pelvic floor dysfunction, which also is connected to voice problems, fatigue because you're a new mom, <laughs> and that also compounds voice issues. And in that moment, it's really important to have a voice and be able to use your voice because that's how we connect with our babies is talking to them, reading them stories, singing them lullabies. And so it's a really um, vulnerable time. And a lot of moms, new moms, don't know that there's help out there for 
people who are struggling with that when they're postpartum. That's awesome. Yeah, I had no idea. And that is just so cool because you're right. Like that's when also, you know, if you're dealing with anything where you need your voice as far as like healthcare questions with your baby, you know, navigating new family roles, it's a very vital time and vulnerable time. And, you know, that's, that's awesome. So what can you do to help women like that? Like what would your therapy, I guess, like what does that kind of look like if I was to come to you in that state? How would you help me? Yeah. So anytime that we do any kind of voice treatment, we do want to take a look at the vocal folds and make sure that there's not something else going on. So we recommend a referral to an ear, nose, and throat doctor first to visualize the vocal folds and really make sure that there's nothing else that could be impacting. After that, then you would come to a speech-language pathologist who specializes in voice, and they would do a voice evaluation where they take measures of your voice, and they would do something called vocal plasticity testing where they test different techniques to see how your voice responds. Um, And there's a lot of different voice therapy techniques out there um, and a lot of different voice therapy techniques that are very um, evidence-based and successful. And oftentimes they don't take a whole lot of time, which is something else that I think is really important for especially moms who are like postpartum because we don't have time, right? We don't want to be going to million and a half therapy sessions. (laughs) We just don't have the time to do it. Um, But usually, you know, one, two, three sessions. Awesome. And it's super easy um, and and can be super functional. But it's very personalized, just like you were saying with the diet stuff as well. Um, So it's it's person to person and it's based on the evaluation. Um, But there's a lot of good resonant voice techniques and, and things like that that can be very helpful. That is awesome. And I want to ask you, too, like, what would be another point besides postpartum? Like, when else, as a woman in my life, could I experience changes hormonally that would impact my voice? So a big one is menopause. Okay. Um, so menopause, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you're going to see a lot of changes with the voice that are that most people will refer to as natural changes to the voice mm-hmm. or they think are natural changes to the voice, and it's because those hormones are fluctuating at that point your you know your estrogen is is depleting and and when that happens your voice is going to drop in pitch it's going to get coarser sounding maybe breathier sounding um i'm sure you all know what i mean when i tell you old woman voice yes yeah (laughs) um and and that is completely preventable um, through voice therapy exercises and, and, and hormone, you know, balancing. Yeah. Um, and, and that's another one that I see quite frequently, especially with people who are professional voice users. Mm-hmm. So individuals who are singers, actors, lawyers, teachers, people that use their voice professionally on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. for income that all of a sudden have this huge change and are then navigating that um, because that impacts their quality of life as well as, you know, their financial situation. No, absolutely. And it's important. Like you said, it's preventable. I mean, I've never heard that said before. And, you know, that's such a big deal and empowering. That's mm-hmm. why it's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with me. Does anybody have any questions from Ms. Ashley? Yeah. Um, so you have a nice, nice healthy um, voice box here. Is there... Yeah. Like a picture of like a non, like do they does it look drastically different? Like, I don't know. I'm just thinking about it like muscles. But, um, yeah, 
Is there, like, a healthy one versus, like, a not Oh, yeah. Healthy one? <laughs> 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 um, so this is, this, yeah, this is my healthy drawing of the vocal folds. And, in fact, this is kind of stripped away the tissue, so it would look even slightly different than this um, if you were looking at it um, in real time. But um, there's a lot of different things that can cause a an unhealthy uh, voice. Um we see things from muscle tension problems that can cause what we call muscle tension dysphonia. Um, and that's actually common as a secondary problem from some of the hormonal problems okay. because people try to compensate by squeezing their muscles, and then we see problems from that. Um, there are things like vocal nodules, vocal polyps, vocal cysts, vocal cancers. So there's like, there's tons and tons and tons of different pathologies that you could see that would make a voice unhealthy. And that's one of the reasons why we say, you know, you have to see an ear, nose, and throat doctor for first. visualization first. Because if not, it would be like you going to the doctor and saying, hey, my, my leg really hurts. Like, I can't put weight on it. And then they just send you to the physical therapist without doing an x-ray. Like, yeah, it's, it's not super safe because we can do the wrong thing. So we always want you to get visualized first yeah. just to make sure. Um, but if it's fairly normal and healthy otherwise, it's usually kind of a result of some other connection to the body. <laughs> because, I mean, my son just turned a year old, but ever since after I had him, I would have, like, this, like, almost, like, scratchy voice, like, I feel like I need to cough. Or throat clear? Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and I would tell my husband, like, I feel like it's allergies or something, like, I don't understand. But um, I would say then, how long does it typically take to address it? And, I mean, I know you said one to three visits, but, like, do you need to do the therapy at home after that and, like... It depends person to person. Um, typically during that like one to three, one to four sessions, depending on um, you know what we're doing, um, I will assign you some like home practice stuff to do in between. Um, I'm a big proponent of I'm going to do, I'm going to assign you something that's doable because I'm a mom. I know that I'm not going to go home and do half an hour to an hour's <laughs> worth of exercise. Like, I can't build that in my schedule. It's just not functional. Um, <laughs> I would never, you know, but um, if I can assign you something that you do while you're already doing something else and that's super easy for you to add into your routine or um, some tips and tricks for, like, when you're singing your lullabies or when you're reading your book, like, those are going to be the home practice because that's really functional and it's something that's not going to take up your time because it's something you're already doing. Mm -hmm. It's just teaching you how to do it in a way that's healthy and will be beneficial to your voice in the long run. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, very cool. Any other questions? Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that was you. amazing. So that's kind of the talk end of things and I'm ready to turn it over for yoga unless you guys have any final thoughts or final questions you want to ask any of us. Thank you guys again. This is awesome.